I uh, want to begin this morning by touching base uh, on a couple things to, about the uh, weekend and our outreach. Um, and just, just to make sure that everybody knows who I am, Michael introduces himself uh, when the announcements happen. My name is Matt Warren. I'm another elder here at the church. And uh, just grateful that you're here to worship with us today. So I want to do a couple things. One, if you're a student going to Coldstream Camp this week for high school camp, stand up real quick. It's okay, Abigail. You'll be, you'll be okay. So there's uh, five of them right there. Uh, so most of you know them. Daniel, Abigail, Natalie, Heather, and then Juliana. So be praying for them this week. Uh, Gina, are you in here? There you are. How did I miss you? Um, Gina, are, you're speaking on Wednesday night uh, at camp, and then I'll be speaking Tuesday night at camp. And you're cooking. Oh, so everybody needs to pray for the students, right? <laughs> so that they, that they don't get too full, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so, no, it means that camp food this week is going to be excellent. Um, so, yeah, that's great. Uh, so, just be praying for all those folks that are involved in Coldstream Christian Camp from our church. Um, I want to also share this. Um, I appreciate Julie sharing about yesterday's outreach. And uh, the folks that were part of that, uh, that are here today, would you all just stand up real quick? Danny's in the very back. Julie in the very back. So, I was part of that. Um, yeah, so great. Thank you. You all can be seated. So a, a great day. Now, one of the things that Julie mentioned is several people wanting rides. And so I wanted to mention that um, because I think that's, th there's like an easy approach to this, and then there's this kind of complicated one. Um, the easy approach is this. If the Lord lays that on your heart, because I'm, I'm going to end up having some kind of responsibility, like reach out and say, hey, who could provide a ride? So I'm doing it right now. And I'm just going to trust that the Lord would lay it on somebody's heart. The, the folks who uh, identified that, they just live over in the East Stone or West Stone area, um, which if you don't know those street names, it's no big deal. Uh, you basically head a quarter of a mile up the 431 here, take a right on old 431, and then it's about a half a mile in that neighborhood. So, like, I know Julie and Danny would probably have said, hey, we'll do that right away. They arrive early almost every week. And so they're, they're usually here about 8.30, 8.45. And so I'm sure it just wasn't on their radar um, in that sense because they're not uh, like available to do that. But somebody is probably available. And so I would love for you to be praying about that and let me know if that's something that you can do, maybe not every week, but maybe a couple weeks of the month. And let's see what we can do to meet their needs, okay? And I'm going to guess this. I would venture that as we continue to reach out in the neighborhoods over the next couple weeks, um, we're going to see more needs pop up like that. Not just prayer needs, but some very tangible needs that we can meet. And so I would just encourage you to be looking at your calendars, also praying, you know, Lord, just have my heart and mind ready for if those needs pop up, I'll be able to um, be, just be aware that you want me to be obedient in, in that way. And um, kind of last note um, that I want to just say about this. Though we didn't get to necessarily share the gospel with anyone yesterday to, to really get into the, like, do you know you're a sinner and in need of Christ? There was a lot of seed sown, and we were received really positively at almost every house that, uh, that we encountered someone home in. Um, and so part of what we're doing is just that, seed sowing. And we know that the Lord will bring about a harvest. And the success is not so much about uh, what pe how people responded to us, but the call is for us to be obedient in going. 
And so through these, already who's, everyone who's signed up, there's already success on what the Lord's doing in our own hearts and, and lives as we're getting ready to go out. So I'm excited about those things. Um, so let's, let's turn to the message now. And um, I want to do something um, that I should have done a couple weeks ago, but uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to go ahead and take care of that now. And that's to introduce the, the title of the series. We're just, this is our third weekend. And um, Julie, I'm going to trust that you can get that slide up there. Um, but as we've been looking at the book of 1 Timothy now for a couple weeks. This is kind of the idea. As, as Paul wrote to Timothy to the church who was um, working with the church of Ephesus, it's really about a holistic vision for the church, okay? That it's, it's not just to the instructions given to young Timothy, but it's really about the church itself being healthy. And how that relates to us is this kind of subtitle, and I was just looking at, it's really about unfading truths for us as a modern church. We're going to encounter things in this study of unpacking the book of 1 Timothy that are going to be like mirror images of things that we address in our own church life today that we need to consider. So, so that we also, like the church at Ephesus needed to respond, we need to respond too. And we need to, to like course correct. We need to make sure that we're being healthy in certain uh, areas of church life. And, and, and as we course correct, we'll see the Lord providing us strength and blessing. And that's what we want. And, and we're also dealing with some things that uh, the culture then was dealing with. We're going to see one of those issues this morning as we unpack the text. So this morning's title for the, for the message itself is a right interpretation of of the law and gospel, a right interpretation of the law and gospel. That's something that we still deal with today in church life, how people look at the laws and the, the, the commands in the Old Testament, whether that be the Ten Commandments, whether that be the law of Moses, whether that just be principal commands that are broader, people will often misinterpret those things, and it creates a tension within the church. A lot of times we hear the term legalism, apply to that kind of misinterpretation of the law that puts us in tension, where we've elevated a lot of things other than the person of Christ. And, and we lose freedom because of who Christ is in and through us, and we start focusing on a lot of external things, and we make those the, the, the bigger uh, deal in our, our faith life, and it actually trips us up. And that's actually what was happening here in, in the context of Ephesus and what Paul's addressing. So that's part of what I'm going to unpack this morning. So um, I just want to go back and um, read a little bit of the context of what Michael looked at last week, and then we'll jump into the, the verses that we're going to address this morning. So before I, I read the scriptures, let's pray together, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone that's here today. I thank you that uh, they're, they're desiring a deeper relationship with you. And Lord, today, I, I, my trust is this, that as we unpack the scriptures, that we will make the most of Jesus Christ and people will understand both the importance of the law but also the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ and what the law actually points to. And in that, we would gain both strength for our faith and then freedom to walk rightly with one another to honor you. So Lord, I pray that you would bless not only the reading of your word but the preaching of it. Lord, I, I recognize that the, the scriptures say that preaching is foolishness, but there's still a command to do it. And so, Lord, I, I pray that in, in my own background study and work today, you would honor that <clears throat> in, in, as I teach, and there would be clarity of thought, 
and that you would be exalted. So, Father, bless us now as we go through this book. In Jesus' name, amen. So, let's read uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, and then we'll pick up uh, after I make a few introductory remarks about that. So Paul's writing to young Timothy, he says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. That idea of teaching any different doctrine is a key. We're going to see that kind of come up through the rest of the book. And he continues in verse 4, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Let's stop there for just a moment. moment. So, so last week, as Michael taught, we were looking at this clear aim that Paul sets out, that he wants the church to recognize that the aim of the Christian gospel is love. That love is rooted in these three things that Paul mentions to Timothy. First, it issues from a pure heart. Then second, a good conscience. And then third, a sincere faith. Now, those three issues that undergird the idea of a biblical love are at the core, being compromised by what these false teachers are doing with the law. And so Paul is identifying that this is the tension that's, that the church is in and is compromising their ministry. And they're missing because of this focus on inappropriate things, particularly a misinterpretation of the law, they're missing the true aim of, of biblical love. And so we're going to unpack a couple more things about that. So that just sets a little bit of the context. Then what Paul does, he takes these two kind of sections, and, and I say Paul does. I don't know if he thought so much in, hey, I'm going to section these things away. I think we do that when we look back at the Scripture, right? But in verses 8 through 11, we see one of these asides. And then in verses, I think it's 12 through 17, we're going to look at next week, we see some, another aside about what undermines this true aim or the approach at the true aim. And so what, what we're going to see today is a clear indication of what, why we need the law, what Paul's addressing in his own context, what, what Timothy needs to encourage, and how the church itself needs to respond. So let's look at verses 8 through 11 now and pick up our text for the morning. So Paul says this, Now we know that the law is good if, one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So, here's what's interesting to me about this. As Paul um, was writing to Timothy here in these verses, in this aside, he certainly addresses a couple things. And the first is this idea that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So, I, I want us to... Um, 
basically get a, a grasp of what he uh, is, is stressing over and against the false teachers that Michael identified last week that we've seen in the text again because this is the tension that the church is in. The false teachers are teaching a message and Paul saying, yeah, you're focusing on the law, but you're doing it inappropriately, okay? Because the law is good. So look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5. I think it helps us to understand what, what Paul and Timothy are wrestling through with the false teachers. Because it's not enough just for him to say, well, the, this is the law, this is what's happening with these vain dis discussions and all the, the controversy over genealogies. There's a little bit more that it's packed into. And he reveals that later in the letter. So we get the insight of that by reading through a whole letter and then kind of going back and unpacking it. So in 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5, this is what we read. If anyone teaches a different doctrine. So here again, Notice that Paul is elevating the idea of sound doctrine, of something that's a different doctrine than that which is sound. He says, and, and continues, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. See, that's what the, the false teachers were, were uh, qualified by or characterized by. Their pr the product of them focusing on the, wrong, the law wrongly was making them conceited and puffed up. They were producing bad fruit. So he continues in verse 4. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrel, uh, quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Well, he gets, Paul gets really specific in that passage, identifying both the, the character qualities of those who are uh, false teachers and then also the bad fruit of what they're producing. Can you imagine being like having someone stand before the church and say, hey, here's, here's these laws that we've got to abide by, and, and everyone's walking out going, well, you're not doing this. There's division. There's envy. Well, they're getting it right. Or they're, we're seeing like blessings because he talks about this monetary gain. And so like all of a sudden somebody that's not finding the blessings uh, of finances and, and like uh, uh, just the material things in their lives, people are envying them because obviously they've got to be walking with the Lord better than I am. It's like all this dissension and stuff is going on in the church. And it's very unhealthy. And, and it's because these teachers of the law, these false teachers, were elevating the wrong thing. At no point in their message were they actually using the law to emphasize people's need for Christ. And, and that's the simple look at what, what the law does. It's a tutor to us to help us understand our need for Christ. So let's, let's look at this um, because I want to I break this down in a couple of ways and help us understand like exactly what Paul's doing and why and then help us to understand really what a healthy look at the law is and then what the gospel is okay so that's kind of the the overview of where we're going to go so the first thing that I want you to see Paul doing is a couple things one he's being accused of being an antinomian or against the law okay and, and he clearly says back in uh, verse uh, let me make sure I get it right he says in verse 8 now we know that the law is good, okay, if one uses it lawfully. So he's saying, I'm not, I'm not dismissing the law. I'm not being an antinomian who says the law has no place. 
Now, let me define what antinomian is, uh, antinomianism is because I think this is helpful. It stresses that, a Christ, that Christian freedom from the condemnation of the law uh, so, so that it underemphasizes the need of the believer to confess sins daily and pursue sanctification earnestly. So, so essentially, the antinomianism, it's saying you don't need the law. You don't need to, to pursue anything of that. It can just be done away with because once you know Christ, there, there's really no benefit to having the law. That's false. That's not what Paul's teaching. He's saying the law is good when used appropriately, okay? But, but we can't just set the law aside in the sense to say, you know, it, well, we're going to do without the law because we don't have sin anymore because Christ is in us. We still struggle with sin. We need the law to continually be elevated before us so that we're reminded of sin. And I'm going to show you how the law is appropriately used in a minute. So the first thing that Paul is doing is he's saying, I love the law because it's beneficial, and we're going to look at some scriptures where he identifies that really clearly in a couple minutes too. So he's saying, don't accuse me of being an antinomian. Second of all, what he does, he is in his emphasis, he's saying that the law is good, but we need to use it rightly. Um, and it has a right place in everyone's life. And then the third thing that Paul emphasizes, and I think this is really important, is that there's an appropriate in, uh, use to the law that requires an appropriate interpretation. If we look at the law and we don't apply it properly, then it undermines the gospel. That's what Paul's getting at. But if we use the law and we interpret it properly, then it has a right place. And, and here's part of why that's so important for us to identify today, especially as Paul in that day, in, in writing to Timothy, and Timothy's having to help with the leadership in the church, there are those that are interpreting the, raw, the law inappropriately. I want to make this point. The law does not interpret itself. It's not, it, it, it's, it's, I'm going to use this little phrase, it's not self-interpreting. We have to have an, a good understanding of how the law of God is used contextually. So when we think about the Ten Commandments, the laws of Moses, those principles and, and ideas that stand behind it, that even in Romans 1, where it talks about that we're all accountable, there are, there are laws within our nature that God has implanted because we are created in His image that, that apart from the right interpretation, they can be misused and misconstrued and undermine the hope of the gospel. And that, that's what was essentially happening in the church at that time. Let me pause here for just a second. That is still happening today in churches. The, the elevation of legalistic ideas still today undermines churches. That the, the law and, and rules and governing principles are emphasized over relationship with Christ and what, who Christ is in us, how he produces a fruit in our lives that changes how we respond to one another according to Christ in us and the leadership of the Holy Spirit and his convicting power and his empowering through spiritual gifts for us so that we might minister to one another well. Too often we get focused on the, the, the legalistic things, just the outward expressions, and we lose what it means to be like what I would kind of in a, a jargon sense call the one another's of the Christian life. That, that we get too caught up in just the rules and regulations rather than having hearts. And I go back to what Paul's already identified, the love that we should have towards one another that's based on good conscience, pure heart, 
and uh, what's the other, oh, the good faith, okay, a pure faith in, in the Lord. If, if our love is founded on other things, then those, we're, we're missing really what the gospel message is about. And so that's the core of what Paul is trying to get, like, reversed and, and reordered in the life of the church. So having provided those three pictures of why uh, Paul, or those three reasons why Paul is uh, presenting this understanding of the law, let's look at what the law is really purposed to do. I want to give you three things that I think will really help us um, understand this and help uh, us together go, okay, the law has a right place, we understand it, and then we understand where the gospel comes into play. So first, when you think about the law, one of the first things that the law does is that it operates as kind of a locked door to restrain us from trespassing into areas of wrongdoing. Let me, let me repeat that. It operates as a kind of locked door to restrain us from operating or trespassing into areas of wrongdoing. So when you think about the, the term, like when, it's easy to kind of go back to the idea of, of the Ten Commandments and think about the, the commandment, thou shalt not covet or steal, right? Um, here's what Paul says in Romans 7, 7. So if you're taking notes, I'd write this down, Romans 7, 7. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it really quickly. It says, uh, where Paul writes, he says, For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. See, see the, that's that locked door. It reveals to us the area of trespass so that we won't walk in wrong, wrongdoing. And Paul says, I, I wouldn't have known what it meant to covet if the law hadn't said, don't covet. We, if, apart from the law, if we don't have those guidelines, we just freely do what we want and there would be no standards. But that law is actually written on our hearts, and that law is spelled out in Scripture, and we, it's, so it's that restraining lock upon our lives to prevent us from doing wrong. So the second thing that the law is like is this. It's like a mirror. It reveals sin with the intent of leading us to Christ. So the first one kind of defines it. The second one op operates as a mirror, but as a mirror with the intent of us coming to know Christ personally, not just focusing in on what we shouldn't do, but to help us turn and repent and look at Christ. So let me um, give you this per perspective on this from Paul again. He says in Romans 3, 19 through 20, again, I just write that, that passage down, Romans 3, 19 through 20, he says this, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. You, you hear that description that, that it reveals to us and then holds us accountable. It's like that mirror coming up before us to say, you can't get away with this. And he says in verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Boy, that's, a, 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 to me, a great way uh, to, to help us understand that idea of the mirror. The mirror points to that scripture and helps us really reflect well on what it means. That apart from scripture being held before us and the law being exposed to us, we would not really understand our sinfulness. And why do we need to understand our sinfulness? Because apart from understanding our sinfulness, we'll never know our need for Christ. And we would never know that we have a need for salvation. That we are, what the scriptures say, dead in our sins and trespasses. If, if we can excuse that, then we think that we can earn our way to obedience. 
but by the scriptures clearly identifying that sin creates a separation in us from God. We, we have a clear understanding that we need Christ in his work. And so that's what the, mirror, the scriptures point out and the law points out. Listen to what Galatians 3.24 says. I think this adds to this argument a little bit. Galatians 3.24, we read this. So then, the law was our guardian. And that term actually means instructor. So, so you think about someone who teaches. They're trying to guard you in the truth and direction. So that instruction, it, it helps us to understand the truth. So let me back up again with that in place. The, so then the law was our guardian or instructor until Christ came in order that we might be justified through faith. So, see, the law helps us identify our need for Christ, being justified through faith, not the keeping of the law. So the, the law was never intended to be that by which we attain salvation. So third, so we've seen that the law serves as that guard or lock um, to, to our lives. It serves as the mirror. And then third, the law serves as a rule and guide to point us to what pleases God. So it serves as a rule and guide to point us to what pleases God. Now, that seems a little bit, to me, counterintuitive. When, when I was studying and thinking through that, um, reading some of the commentators that said that, I was like, man, how, how do they argue that? How does this rightly viewed? And, and as I began to read the scripture, I was like, okay, this is really, really clear. So I want you to, we're actually going to turn here for this one. Look over in Romans 13, because I think this is helpful just to read this one in, in scripture, because it's a little bit longer. Um, and I think a little more complex. So Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. I'll give you just a second to get there. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. So remember, we're looking at how the law serves as a guide to point us to what pleases God. So listen to this. Owe no one anything except to love each other. So I'm going to pause here and editorialize for just a second. It's interesting to me that in 1 Timothy, Paul says the aim of, for the church is what? Love. Here again, what's he point to in Romans 13? The aim is love, that we would love one another. For the one who loves another, <laughs> interesting, what does he say? Has fulfilled the law. Okay? For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Isn't that interesting? So, so the law is not elevated as for us to keep these rules, to, to not do all these things. There's a positive perspective that comes from us having the law point our, out our need for Christ as our Savior. And then when we repent of our sin, because the law has shown us and demonstrated our sinfulness, then we trust in Christ because we recognize his, our need for Him, then we are enabled to love one another well. Apart from Christ in us, apart from what the, the law reveals to us, we can't love one another well. You might argue, well, yes, I could, I could. I, I consistently go back to this thought. When people live according to the law, but apart from Christ, they can do good things. They can do really good things. They can do really right things. 
But what is at the heart of their motivation? Have you ever thought about that? I have a lot. And, and the truth is, if anything is motivated apart from our love for Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, it's really motivated by pride. We don't like to say that. As a matter of fact, probably even me saying that, that makes us a little bit hesitant. Is Matt really right in that? I can guarantee you that at the core of everything in us, apart from Christ, the root is pride. It goes back to Adam and Eve. We want to be like God, so we will do these things. It's, it's innate in us, in our human nature. And so we've got to be careful that we don't elevate the law in the wrong way to increase our pride. Instead, we elevate the law and interpret the law in the right way so that we use it appropriately to elevate who? Christ and our need for Christ and in the work of Christ in us so that we love rightly because Christ is in us. It's simple, but... The truth is, how often do we really reverse that whole process? We elevate the law because it's so like tangible in ways, and that's, that's what we live accordingly by. And there's danger in that because it doesn't produce good fruit. And that's, that's what Paul's getting at as he's writing to young Timothy. He, he's saying the fruit of elevating the, the law wrongly produces divisions. It produces envy. It produces chaos. So I uh, want to go back to this thought, and I want to make sure I'm not skipping over something in my notes, which I think I have. Nope, I haven't. Good. Um, so, so let's go back to 1 Timothy 1, and let's, let's look at verses 9 through 10. And I want to give you just kind of a quick overview, because I, I think this is interesting. And then I want to address a very specific topic that's really relevant for us today in our church life. So let's... let's Look at verses 9 and 10, but before I read this again, I want to give you the, like the quick flyover uh, sense of this. What Paul does here, and it's really, really interesting. Remember, he's talking about the law. He's talking about the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses, and other principles. But what he does in the structure of this, he starts to mirror the Ten Commandments as he explains how the, the law is being misused by these false teachers. So as we read this, notice how this actually parallels those ideas of the Ten Commandments. So, verse 9, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. So there's, and there's these kind of co-terms, if you, if you will. Notice there's couplings or groupings of these things. So the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So if you were to go back and look at the Ten Commandments, those things are almost exactly mirrored by the commandments. Now here's where I want to get really specific for just a moment, is uh, I want to comment on what we would consider to be the, the seventh command, or not consider, what is the seventh commandment, and that is that we should not commit adultery. And, and I want to show you what Paul is doing here. So Notice he doesn't list the, the commandments each, like thou shalt have no other God before me. You should not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. All those kind of things, okay? Um, but he uses broader terms in those couplets or groups 
to express those same things that are represented in the Ten Commandments. So it's almost like he's saying, here's the Ten Commandments, but here's how they apply it in a broader, wider sense. So in the Seventh Commandment, when he comes down to thou shalt not commit adultery, we know that adultery is sexual sin. Here, in the text, he uses two terms specifically, but in a wider sense. So in verse 10, he says, the sexually immoral, that is actually the word pornoi, where we get the word pornography from. It is that idea of broader sexual sin, okay? Then he specifically drills into men who practice homosexuality. Now, technically in the Greek, that actually has to do with men only in relationship. And it has to do, like, there's, there's some in our day and age that would argue, well, that's only because of the, the relationship of men to men. It doesn't have to do anything else with, with any other sexual sin. I would present a different argument because Paul is using this in a broader sense, both as he talks about sexually, sexual immorality and homosexuality, not just adultery. See, see it's, it's an expanding argument. He's being more broad and inclusive in a wider sense. So it does pertain to any kind of homosexual relationship. Folks, I, I know you know this, but I want to like spell this out for just a minute. We live in a day and age where sexual sins especially are being minimized. Nobody's like, oh, wow, that's new information. Are y'all keeping up? Like, uh, we, we just did a, a, a series, it's been about a year and a half ago now, on uh, the sexual revolution and CRT, answering those things in a biblical way. Back then it was LGBT, LGBTQ+. Has anybody looked at the acrostic lately? I, I, don't, I don't like study this time, stuff all the time. But, but something came across my computer the other day as I was studying, and I was like, what in the world? So here's where we are now. LGBTQIA2S+. It's just, I, and I'm not trying to diminish the, the, the issue. Please don't think I'm, I'm like poking fun. But I'm, I'm explaining, this is chaos. You cannot keep up with this. It stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, pansexual, two-spirit, and asexual. It just continues to become chaotic. This is why Paul's saying in the wider sense that there's a standard here by which we operate. And we need as a culture to be biblically sound to stand against and to, to encourage people about, when I say stand against, Understand, I'm not just pointing at sexual sin. I'm going to explain that in a minute. But stand firm against what sin is, biblically, so that we uphold the right kind of mirror to people, that we hold the standard to point out what sin is, so that we would say this is sound doctrine because churches are compromising on these positions. And the church of today, in a broad sense, is very, very loose about these kind of things. And they don't hold to a centrality of, of Scripture as the core and the truth of, of biblical teaching at their heart. And so we see lots of, of bad things happening in church, um, especially homosexual people being ordained in ministry. If you watch the... Um, well, I'm not going to go there. Um, so let me, let me add this. Um, Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Because, and, and I'm going to point this out as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. 
if you were really paying careful attention to this, and I, 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 I said it already, so you ought to get this. Paul's not elevating sexual sins in this passage. He goes through every one of the commandments. And folks, that's one of the things that we need to also be careful of as a church. Because sexual sins are so pervasive and it's on the forefront of everyone's mind, that becomes like the tip of the spear in a lot of conversations today. Sin is sin. Yes, certainly we need to address sexual sins, but we need to address every kind of sin. And today, I've said this again and again in the pulpit recently, we, we live in a culture that doesn't want to talk about sin. We, we live in a culture where people don't think that sin is, even exists because we justify sin away. We need to be people that rightly interpret the law and elevate the gospel and the hope of the gospel that meets everyone's problem with sin. So we see it in, in 1 Timothy, the list of sexual sins included in the list of broad uh, scope of sins. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Here again, Paul writes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Pause for just a second. It doesn't just say the sexually immoral or those that are engaged in sexual sin. It says the unrighteous. Again, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous apart from Christ. We all need Christ no matter what the sin. Let's keep going. He says, uh, do not be deceived, neither the sexual, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. So there's certainly that qualifier right there. By the way, the same word right there as in 1 Timothy. He says, verse 10 now, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, don't get caught into the trap if you end up in a conversation with someone or you're addressing this issue about sexual sin that we just make much of that. Paul doesn't in the scriptures go back to the scripture and say sin is sin. Now I'll say this and, and qualify it. Different sins carry different consequences. We need to elevate that fact because there's a sin for sexual immorality that, and the consequence of that sin bears differently than the sin of being a thief or an idolater or greedy. The consequences do differ. Those natural consequences do are distinguished. But the end result of all sin is separation from God. It leaves us broken and depraved, and we need the hope of the gospel. So, now, all of that aside from the cultural relevance for us, okay, why we need to understand these truths. I want to come back to a couple of things that Paul's covering. If these false teachers were using the law to support their strange theories, it led Paul to confront them with the truth about how to interpret the law, the law properly. And then go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I want us to look very carefully at verse 11 for just a moment. He says, I'm, I'm, actually, let's go back to verse 10. He lists all these things that they were um, uh, promoting earlier. 
And he says, and whatever else, at the end of verse 10, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Let me try to package this really quickly and neatly. What the false teachers were doing, they were emphasizing all of these elements. They were creating chaos with these elements, multiple things. And Paul said not to disregard those, but to put those in their proper place and understand that those elements are part of a greater sound doctrine. Now let me qualify this. Hopefully this helps you a little bit. The plurality of those emphases led to a compromise in the church, whereas an emphasis on sound doctrine, one thing leads to the purity of the church. What is sound doctrine? Well, he, he defines it. Sound doctrine is that which points to the gospel of Jesus Christ, nothing else. If we emphasize the wrong things, we will end up in chaos. If we emphasize sound doctrinal truth, we will be protected. Sound doctrinal truth leads to the blessing of glorifying God and being right in relationship with Him. So I was thinking this morning, just kind of the last reviews of, of the message, and I, I, this statement came up. And I want to make this statement for us this morning. The law never elevates our, our abilities or capabilities. The law always elevates our inability. Does that make sense? So, so you can tell if, if someone's preaching or teaching truth because it's not going to be about our capabilities. It's going to be about our inability and our trust in Christ, which then makes us capable. Only Christ in us makes us capable of bearing good fruit, being saved, to bear the good fruit, to produce love for one another, love for God. It's all rooted in the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ. And, I, and I'm going to emphasize this. I haven't said it in a while, but I'm, I want to make sure that this is clear. Sound doctrine always produces good fruit. I know, and I've said this before from the pulpit, I know that, that I can easily be accused of focusing in on doctrine. I'll be honest, good, <laughs> good. Because if we don't focus on sound doctrine and we're focused on other things, we get endangered. Let me give you a for instance. There are certainly truths in the scripture that point to what it means to be a godly parent. We could teach on all these principles about being a godly parent, and that could be great truth. But if that, those principles are void of the sound doctrine of being a good parent is rooted in your relationship with Christ, it's all for naught. And, and see, we can elevate the tangible principles and things, but if they're not rooted in the person of the God through Jesus Christ, then we're missing the point. Because we can do all the right things as a parent, except if our heart is not right with the Lord, all those things can be done in pride, and it really destroys the heart of our kids. I'll tell you, I'll be very, very transparent with you for a moment. 
I blew it with my kids. I still blow it with Juliana. I've got two older ones that are 25 and 24. Juliana's 17, if you don't know the context of that. We will pay for our kids' counseling at some point if we have the money, okay? Just being honest. They laugh and they poke fun at stupid stuff that I did as a parent. And, and I'll tell you this. There are moments as a parent I was in my flesh. I, I wanted to discipline and correct and do things right. Even through kindness and gentleness, there's, there's things that I probably did right, but out of the wrong heart. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. What the Lord has continually done to, in my own life is convicted me of where I missed those things because I was not under the control of God's Spirit in that parenting practice. And He's constantly refining me in that, redeeming, regenerating me in that. I'm okay with it. But I'm going to call sin, sin. And I'm going to try to walk in a heart of integrity with the Lord. Because being right in relationship with the Lord is far better than just doing the right things out of the wrong motivation. Because eventually the heart shows. That's why having sound doctrine is so essential. Because we could be like, like we could list all these law type things in parenting. And you could list all sorts of other things like finances and marriage relationships and, you know, how to be a good boss, how to be a good leader. We could do tons of those topical things. But if, apart from knowing the Lord rightly, all of that stuff would not be lined up right. So I want to remind you, what Paul's elevating is sound doctrine. Knowing the Lord well, elevating the person of Christ, relying on your relationship with Him, fostering that identity as who you are in Christ is far superior and will produce the good fruit because the closer you draw into the Lord, guess what He does in every area of your heart and mind and energy? He tweaks, He corrects, He changes it. It's not the law. So, so I want you to know that's part of why we do ministry the way we do it. We'll address all those things, most likely when it comes up in the, the text itself. When Paul talks about parenting, we'll highlight that, and we'll address those principles about how, what it means to give good discipline to your kids out of a relationship with the Lord, because that sound doctrine is so essential. So, again, what Paul's getting at is this. Have a right understanding of the law. Interpret it properly so that we do what? We know Christ. So that we see the value of Jesus Christ above all else. So that when we write, get our doctrine right, the fruit is good. It's, it's, the fruit is not envy and dissension and quarreling. The fruit is peace and unity, and love for one another that's birthed out of who we are in Christ. Now, that may sound all like very theologically related. Like, you're going, where's the practical application of that this morning? Well, I can tell you this right now, and I'm going to be very, very bold for a moment. I think if we all held the mirror up to ourselves in that sense of what the law is for, we ought to be identifying weaknesses in our lives. Places that we go, yeah, Lord, you, you've revealed something to me and, and I'm not doing real well in that area. My, my love for people, whether that be inside the church or outside the church, there's something that's lacking. And, and we need to be a, a, a group of people as a church 
that are okay with holding that mirror up and going, I, I, not only am I re, you know, good with it, I don't want to be reluctant or hesitant to do it, I want to embrace that process. And to be asking this question, Lord, where is it where the law is su- like superior in my life? Where is it that I'm failing? Where is it that by coming and looking at this, I know that I need to make changes? I, I'm, I'm not going to get into the, the details of it, but in the last several months, the Lord is identifying through conversations with many of you areas that we are struggling with. And we need to be ready to do some things. And I'm going to tell you what came out of the, the church health meeting. We've had two meetings. Um, both meetings, one of the words has come up, but um, these two words came up, that we need revival and we're not talking about like a tent revival. We go out on the lawn as beautiful as it is and we like have just manufacture some kind of event. I'm, we're talking about something happening in our hearts. And the second part of this is for true revival to take place, genuine repentance has to take place. And, and that's one of the places of conversation that I've had. We know, people amongst the body know we need change. So that's bold for me to say, but, but I'm going to be clear. I don't want to be the one that's not doing it. I don't want to be the one that's not responding. I, I don't want sin in, in my camp, so to speak. And I trust that you don't want sin in your camp. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to pray. We're going to pray. Um, if you want to come up to one of the altars, we've got steps up here if you want to pray. The altar at the cross, we've got a kneeling bench over there. I'll be honest, there's nothing magical about being at those spots, but here's what movement often represents, is that move of repentance. It's it's what I mentioned earlier. Hey, here's the mirror that I see sin. I need to turn away from that sin, and I need to go back to God. Just moving to a place can help you solidify that moment. It's good. It's beneficial. You don't have to, But, but I know this in my own life. There's been times when I've done that and I can go back and look at those moments where God's spoken to me and I've moved and it's just a good concrete picture of that moment of sincere repentance before the Lord. So here's what we're going to do. Will's going to turn the lights down. I'm going to pray for us for just a moment. I'm going to ask Mason if he'll just come and give us a little background music. There's nothing special about that either. It just helps us kind of uh, keep our minds maybe more tuned into the Lord. And uh, just free us from some distractions. And I'm going to do this. I want to just ask you to stand. Um, just to prepare you. If you want to move, you can turn around and kneel where you are. I don't care. Okay? That's between you and the Lord. But here's what I am asking. Is that you would listen to the Holy Spirit right now. And you would ask Him, like David asked, Lord, search me. Try me. See if there's any sin or wicked way in me. And if there is, if he convinces you or convicts you of something, would you just do this? Don't hesitate to repent. Just turn back, confess it as sin. Tell the Lord that you want something different in your relationship with him and your relationship with others and just make that right with him. I love this passage of scripture. The Lord says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Don't walk in unrighteousness. Walk in the fruit of the love of God through Christ in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love the scripture. (laughs) I hope that's evident every week I get to teach. And Lord, I love the scripture because it is 
that powerful tool in my life and in the life of every person here more powerful than any other tool because it, it's metaphorically able to, to divide between the bone and the marrow. It pierces into and reveals the deepest parts of who we are and our desperate need for Christ. Whether we're a believer or whether we're not. And Lord, I pray today that we would be people that interpret the law rightly and use it well within our own lives so that we focus on the sound doctrine of Christ being our Savior, the one who brings about the, the, the regeneration in our hearts, that being born again, we're no longer caught in sin and trespassing and having to pay the guilt and fine for that. But Lord, through the work of the Spirit, we can be made new and walk in righteousness that is ours in Christ. So Father, I just want to be quiet for just a minute, and it's going to be literally a minute, and I just want to ask that for us, your people, we would respond rightly to this message, that we would ask you to search us and see if there's sin in us, and then we would then confess that and repent. So Lord, I'm just going to give us a, a solid minute to do that now. been a minute, but there's people that are responding, so I just want to ask that if you're in the uh, chair area, that you just be patient a minute, just, just be a, continue to attitude of prayer. Oftentimes the word uh, of the scriptures, they bring us to a point of tension. And that's okay. Because Lord, the truth is we need to be in intention. And I'm thinking about the title of this message, that, that we have a vision for a holistic church. That was Paul's message to Timothy for the church of Ephesus in, in the early uh, life of the church. And Lord, that same goal is still present for us today. And we need these truths. 
Lord, I, I think we can often get so complacent, so casual about our walk with you. And Lord, that is not your goal for us. Your goal for us is also to be holistic, to, to have a, a, a great desire and a great pursuit where we intentionalize our own health. And for us to be healthy as a church, Lord, it means we need to be healthy as individuals. And so, Father, I pray that we would not only be convinced or convicted by these truths today, but, Lord, your word would bear such good fruit in us and, and so be so rooted in our hearts and minds that we couldn't escape these things for a lifetime. And not because of my teaching, but because of the truth of your word. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would take these things and you would continue to minister to us as we go throughout the rest of this week. And, uh, Lord, especially as we build relationships with one another, Lord, our desire is to love one another well. So I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to focus on the sound doctrine of loving you and loving one another well. Because if, that, if we will do that, Lord, because of Christ in us, you will be blessed. And the gospel will go forth. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would... Um, be pleased with where that's happening already and how it's happening already, but where it needs to be adjusted and tweaked, where there's still sin, Lord, root that out. So, Father, I thank you for everyone who's been here today to worship with us. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave here today, uh, that we wouldn't just shelf our faith life, but, Lord, instead we would really think about the importance, the call that we have to share the love and good news of Jesus Christ with others in our community. And so we would connect with them in, in ways that are very meaningful, meaningful so that people know Jesus Christ above all. So we pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, again, I want to thank you for being here at the Grove Church to worship with us today. Uh, Will, maybe we can get some lights up so people don't trip out of here. Um, have a great Sunday afternoon and uh, take time to fellowship with one another before you leave the building today. Uh, we love you here and uh, thank you again for being at the Grove to worship with us.